0: Galatians, I love that. Everybody knows Galatians. We've been doing this for the last, last of about two, three months now. So welcome to our 11 o'clock service. Welcome to our service today. We will be in Galatians. We'll be in Galatians chapter 4, verses 8 through 20. The title of my message today is Don't Turn Back. And you'll see as we get started, in fact, you'll see as you take a look at the scripture verses that we're reading, that going to be a, we're going to depart from our norm. We're going to depart from our norm. We're still going to be, be focused on the scriptures. But one of the things that I, that I teach is that scriptures typically have a meaning, one specific meaning. And we know that Paul was writing to the Galatians. These were new believers. Many of them were Jews. Jews. Some of them were Gentiles. But they were being taught to come back into Judaism, uh, to, to become circumcised, to follow the Jewish laws. And that was the purpose of Paul's message. At the same time, all of our scriptures, we also have an application. So we can apply these to our everyday being. One of the applications I give often as I taught through the parables of Jesus was the parable of the Good Samaritan. People know the parable of the Good Samaritan. Well, the parable of the Good Samaritan has a specific meaning. Jesus, actually the Son of God, who came down to pay for our sin to be able to provide for us, is truly the Good Samaritan. That's the the idea. That's the meaning of that parable but there's many applications we open the paper or, or turn on the news and we find out that a good samaritan saved some cat in a tree, right so there's many many applications for our ser- for our, these these messages and we're going to find we're going to focus on the application today you see the thing is that not many of us have been told that we need to be circumcised or that we need to follow the laws of Judaism or we need to go be kosher see that's not something that we are we are dealing with uh, we, we, there is no temple. There are no temple priests. So we're not, we're not being told we have to go back to the temple and offer sacrifices to Jehovah God. We don't have that anymore. So we're gonna try instead find the application. One of the other ways we're gonna depart a little bit is we're going to go uh, with a different version of the scriptures. As I read through this, I said, you know, let's find a different version. And today's living Bible has a pretty good application. It's modern English, so it it speaks to us. So when you're looking for an application, often I go with a a little bit more modern version. So we're gonna be reading 13 verses, verses, which is also a little bit different, okay? One of the things, my wife tells me is that when I read a lot of verses and I try to get through it, I rush. So I'm going to try intentionally to be a little bit slower so that we get through these verses today without speeding up as we go, like a wound up clock of some kind. So again, my message today is don't turn back. Don't turn back. So we're going to start off in verse 8. Paul says, before you Gentiles knew God, you were slaves to so-called gods that did not even exist. And now that you have found God, or should I say now that God has found you, how can it be that you want to go back again and become slaves once more to another poor, weak, useless religion of trying to get to heaven by obeying God's laws? You're trying to find favor with God by what you do or don't do on certain days or months or seasons or years. I fear for you. I'm afraid that all my hard work for you was worth nothing. Dear brothers, please feel as I do about these things, for I am as free from these chains as you used to be. You did not despise me then when I first preached to you, even though I was sick when I first brought you the good news of Christ. But even though my sickness was revolting to you, you did not reject me and turn me away. No, you took me in and cared for me as though I were an angel from God, or even Jesus Christ himself. Were it it that that happy spirit that we felt together then? Uh, For in those days I, I know you would gladly have taken out your own eyes and given them to replace mine if that would have helped me. And now have I become your enemy? Because I tell you the truth. Those false teachers who are so anxious to win your favor are not doing it for your good. What they are trying to do is to shut you off from me so that you will pay more attention to them. It is a fine thing when people are nice to you with good motives and sincere hearts, especially if they aren't doing it just when I am with you. Oh, my children, how you are hurting me. I am once again suffering for you, the pains of a mother waiting for her child to be born, longing for a time when you would finally be filled with Christ. How I, I wish I could be there with you right now and have... Uh, not a reason with you like this, for at this distance I frankly don't know what to do. You know, these are the words of the great apostle Paul, of course, in the modern language. And we're finding that, that Paul is, 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 is telling them something. He's, he's trying to reason with them to, to don't turn back. And that's my topic of my message today. Don't turn back. You know, remember where you've come. Remember what we've gone through and, and don't turn back to the way you were. Now remember, these were, these were new believers, these, these Gentiles. They, they, they had come to Jesus Christ to understand who Jesus Christ truly was by the Apostle Paul. He had been with them shortly before he he wrote this letter. This is one of the first letters of the New Testament. These were Gentiles, non-Jews. Many of them knew, however, of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Before they even knew Christ, they were what was called God-fearers. They were pagans, but they they found out about this God, and they liked what he had to say. They liked the way that they they handled uh, culture, how they handled each other, and what they thought about the one true God. Now, here's the thing. Paul is telling them, remember what you were like before you met Christ. BC, right? Before Christ. Remember what you were like before Christ. And now here's the thing. All of us have a time before Christ because at one time, all of us were non-believers. You might not have known it at the time, but you were non-believer. There there was a point in your life when you understood who Jesus Christ was. You, You became a believer. Now, some of us can remember specific instances when that happened. Some people grew up in the church and it's difficult to come a time when they truly believe, but some of us, like my wife and I, can remember a time when we came to Christ. We have that story. This is why Paul says in verse 9, now that you have found God, or should I say that now God has found you? Now, I've shared this story with some of you just recently in our, in our Bible study, but I'm going to take parts of it again because I think it's important sometimes to tell the story to understand how God works uniquely in all of our lives. So I'll just tell you just a, a part of the story. I'm not going to bore you with all of the details. But my, my wife and I were non-believers. Now, we were married very young. She was only 19 years old when we got married. But uh, after a few years we were married, uh, Carol became pregnant with our first child. And as a result, we knew that in our traditions, my parents and her parents would want the baby to be baptized. And that was our, their tradition, not our tradition, but that was their tradition. So we went back to church. Well, What's interesting is this, is the Bible says that when you draw near to God, he draws near to you. And, and that moving towards God and starting to go to church, even though we really didn't know who God was and who Jesus Christ truly was at the time, that started some things in operation. One of the things I, I tell is there was, a, there was a gentleman that I worked with at Ford Motor Company. His name was Lou Petrosky. And, and I always give credit to Lou because he was such an important part of my transition and understanding who Jesus was. Lou was one of those guys that had a Bible. On his desk, okay, right at four. He had his Bible on his desk. And when he went to lunch, we went to the lunchroom, he would take his Bible with him. And of course, when he came into the lunchroom, people scattered, right? People scattered because he was going to tell them about Jesus. Well, if you know me, I don't scatter real well, okay? So I'm sitting there, right? I'm just sitting there, and Lou sits down next to me, right? Because I'm the only guy there, and he starts telling me about Jesus. Well, I kind of ignore him, you know, I kind of say, well, I I go to church, thank you very much, it's nice for you, but I have my own religion, you know, I, I don't need that. Well, one of the things that Lou did in addition to telling me about Jesus, is Lou was a a supervisor there. I was the assistant manager, but Lou was one of the supervisors. And Lou was in charge of all of the company cars. This was Ford Motor Company. So we had a fleet of pool cars that we could take for errands or going to different dealers and different things like that. And what Lou did is he set every single one of the buttons on the radio, AM and FM, to Christian radio stations. So I was the assistant manager. I didn't have a car, but I was entitled to take a car home. It wasn't mine. I, Carol couldn't drive it. Nobody else could drive it. I could only take it home and back. But I could take a car, a different car, every night. And I'd get in the car, and I'd be driving along, and somebody's preaching Jesus at me. So I'd, I'd look at it, and I'd hit the button on the radio, keep on driving, and somebody else is preaching Jesus at me. And it was, it was frustrating at first. I, I couldn't believe he was doing that. And every car I took, somebody's preaching Jesus to me. Well, i got to tell you, it only took a short period of time from my frustration, turned into anticipation. I started looking forward to my 45-minute journey home and my 45-minute journey to work because I could hear about Jesus. And you see, the thing was is that these people were telling me the same thing that Lou was telling me, that it wasn't about doing good. It wasn't about following the Ten Commandments, trying to to be better than other people. It was about what Jesus Christ had done, that he paid a debt that he didn't owe because I had a price to pay that I couldn't possibly pay. That Jesus had died on the cross for my sin, and not only my sin, but the sin of the world. And if I would receive Jesus, I would be accepted. I would become a, a child of God. See, this was 1980. It was a time of a born-again president, and that I could be born again. And it was like, I started hearing this, and, and finally God got a hold of me. Now see, all of these preachers were coming from different perspectives. Some were Presbyterian and some were Baptist and some were Pentecostal, but they all said the same thing about Jesus, that I did Jesus in my life. And it was only a matter of time that that I accepted Jesus. I I turned over a new leaf. I prayed that prayer with one of those television pastors, one of those radio pastors, and I prayed the sinner's prayer. And and it started changing my life. Now, it was interesting because I didn't tell, I went, came home, never told Carol about it. But she could see that things were changing in my life. Things were starting to change. For one thing, I would, she didn't know I had these radio stations on, even when we were driving to the store. I, I would be reading my Bible. I had never done that before. One of the things I, I tell that happened was, I remember it was early, early spring. It was, it was 1980, and I was outside on my porch, and I was listening to a gospel record. I had bought some records at the time, and it was like the songs we were singing today. And I got to tell you when I was a kid, I grew up on the south side of Chicago, I was kind of a tough kid. Tough enough that kids would hit me and I wouldn't cry. They thought that was kind of funny. Look, Kenny doesn't cry, and they punch me. Well, that carried all the way through my adult life. I just didn't have a lot of emotions. And, and I'm sitting listening to this gospel record, and all of a sudden I realize that I'm, I'm starting to cry. I, I'm starting to weep. God had given me these emotions. And see, that's what the Apostle Paul is saying. He says, realize whose you are. Realize what has happened in your lives. This is, this, don't go back to BC of what you were like before. Understand whose you are. You know, God says if, if we draw near to God, He draws near to us. Now, here's the thing is that that verse, which is in James 4, eight, has something else to say. It says this, it says, Submit yourself therefore to God. Resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hearts, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and weep. You know, many people that when they come to Christ, they've got all of this burden, all of this, this baggage that they have to get rid of. And the thing is, is that that's called sin. And that sin, the Bible says, satisfies for a season. It, it's satisfying. It, it's attractive. You see, the, the Gentiles that Paul was talking to were going back. They were, tra- they were tempted to go back into Judaism, to follow the laws, to follow the dietary laws. But that's not us. See, we're tempted to go back to our old lifestyle. Uh, the old lifestyle that's satisfied for a season, whatever it is. It's, it, it, it could be booze, it could be, al- it could be alcohol, it could be drugs. Wh- whatever it was, there was something there that was, was calling us, calling us back. And Paul is saying, don't go back, don't go back. Verse nine, Paul says this, he says, how can it be that you once again want to go back and become slaves once more to another poor, weak, useless religion and trying to get heaven to heaven by obeying God's laws? That's, Paul is saying, don't go back. Why do you want to go back to this useless life? He calls, he says, poor, weak, and useless. And you know, that really describes our old lifestyle. It it really does. Regardless of how exciting it might have been at the time, those glory days that we had, it was really useless. It was poor, weak, and useless. And I said, remember, we're looking at the application today. We're looking at the application for our lives. For the Galatians, it was the Jewish religion. For us, it's, it's something different. Sometimes it's not about church at all. Uh, some for some people their religion be previously bc was the bottle or was drugs or was money sex and power whatever it is that is preeminent in your life instead of god that's what's calling you back and paul says don't go back you know and paul says something very similar he's writing to the corinthians in first corinthians the apostle paul says this he says neither thieves nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor verbal abusers, nor swindlers, nor will inherit the kingdom of God. And that's what some of you were. B.C., that's what some of you were, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Now, these Corinthians that Paul is writing to were different than the Galatians, okay? The Galatians knew God. They were God-fearers. They were a, a relatively moral people. They're trying to decide between Judaism and Christianity the Corinthians were not like that. This is where the great temple of, of Athena is, okay, where they had temple prostitutes. In fact, in the ancient days, to call somebody a Corinthian was, was to call them immoral, to call them a harlot. I mean, to be a Corinthian was the lowest because they were just all about themselves. Uh, hedonist is, is what you would say. In our verses today, Paul says, I fear for you for I'm afraid that all my hard work for you was worth nothing. Paul knows that there are people out there that want to lure new believers to turn back. And Paul says, I, I fear that all my hard work for you was, was in vain because some of you are, are willing to turn back. So let's go back to our, our application for today. Paul says in verse 12, he says, you did not despise me, than when I first preached to you, even though I was sick when I first brought you the good news of Christ. But even through my, though, my, though my sickness was revolting to you, you didn't reject me and turn me away. No, you took me in and cared for me as though I were an angel from God or even Jesus Christ himself. You know, Christian historians speculate a lot on what Paul was talking to about. The Bible doesn't specify what Paul's infirmity was. Uh, We have some idea that it's an eye problem, but it doesn't have a lot of specificity. But that's where historians and theologians come in, because we fill in the blanks what the Bible leaves alone. So many people believe that Paul possibly had caught malaria, because at the time, malaria was very common, and you would get over of some of the symptoms of malaria, your, your body would start getting strong again. But one of the outcomes was often an eye disease, what would called like weepy eyes, where your eyes would constantly be watering, and, and you wouldn't be able to see. In, in fact, in Galatians itself, at the end of Galatians, Paul says, see what large letters I'm writing to you in my own hand. Now, people realize that at the time when people were dictating these, writing these letters, they were actually dictating them. They were dictating them to a scribe that had the parchment rolled out in front of them. And it was very tedious. Can you imagine to write on on parchment that's all rolled up? and? Put a, put a quill of some kind into some ink and then try to write on it. And this is what was going on. So people would often dictate. What Paul would do is he make sure that they, they knew it was from Paul. He would often put a phrase at the end of his epistle and he would write with large letters and we speculate that he writes with large letters because he couldn't see very well. And this is what Paul is talking about. But Paul's real point here was not his infirmity But he said, remember how you treated me. We had this wonderful fellowship when I was with you, but now people are luring you away. They're trying to turn you back. you know, many of us start off great. We really do, don't we? I mean, think about when you first came to Christ. We start off great. We start reading our Bible. We listen to it on the radio. We turn on the TV. We, we can't get enough of it, right? If there's a Bible study, if the church is open, I'm there, right? If the church is open Monday, I'm there. If the church is open Friday, I'm there, right? We do whatever we possibly can. But, but Paul says this. He says, he says this. He says, those false teachers who are so anxious to win your favor are not doing it for your own good what they're trying to do is to shut you off from me so that you pay more attention to them. You know, people will lead you away from the truth of the gospel, and they want you to become more like them. See, they don't like the way you are. They want to become more like them, and the reason they want you to do that is because it justifies their sin. See, it justifies their sin. If you're so different if you're so different in living a holy life, one that honors God, if they can make you more like them then you were a hypocrite, and it justifies their own sin. But this is why Paul's crying out. He says, hey, don't, don't turn back. And we often do this with our own children, right? I know from many of you in my own family, with my brothers and sisters and aunts and uncles and stuff like that, we know that often we cry out to our children, don't turn back. Do you remember what it was like when we were as a family, went to church together, and you were in Sunday school, and we did all these things together? We had Sunday morning prayer. We would, we would get together. Don't, don't turn back. Don't go back to what you used to be. And one of the reasons that this is is because it, it hurts us. It hurts us when we see our own children. This is exactly what Paul's talking about. In, in verse 19, Paul says this. He says, "'Oh, my children.'" How you're hurting me, I'm I'm once again suffering for you the pains of a mother waiting for her child to be born, longing for the time when you will finally be filled with Christ. Now, one of the things I like about this is when Paul talks about longing to be born, he's, he's referring to what we know as the new birth the new birth. Paul talks about that often. You know, this, we all know this. This goes back to, to John chapter 3, we know the story of Nicodemus, right? The story of Nicodemus came to Jesus at night, and Nicodemus was a rabbi, and he came to Jesus at night. You probably know the story, and this is where Jesus says, no, you need to be born again. And I want to read to you some of that story, but, but the, the key is really the very end of it, it says, Jesus answered, this is John chapter three. Jesus answered, he said, most assuredly, I say to you that unless one is born of water and of the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel when I say to you, you must be born again. Now, verse eight, I believe is a key and this is our application. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear the sound of it. You cannot tell where it came from or where it goes. So is everyone who was born of the spirit. You see, if we tell our stories, we tell our stories of coming to Christ, like I just told you, I'd love to hear your stories, by the way. If we tell our stories, we're all gonna have this story of, it's something like the wind. It started, I'm not sure exactly where it started, but there's something that happened in that process. Now that process for you might've taken a year, might've taken a few, white weeks? Might have taken a month, whatever it was, but there was a process there. See, many people can't tell you the date. In fact, quite frankly, people that have a date in their Bible, the day that they made Jesus Christ the Lord of their life and stuff like that, often I think that date is probably inappropriate. And the reason is is because the Spirit is like the wind. It's constantly having an effect on us. We're not quite sure when the (laughs) Spirit gets a hold of us. And this is what Paul is saying, don't turn back because you're still in the wind. You're still in the wind. You're not quite there. Just stay on track. Stay on the path. God is doing something in your life. Don't, don't turn back because God's not finished with you yet. See, that is a bumper sticker sometimes, right? Be patient with me. God's not finished with me yet. And that's what Paul is saying. Bible tells us that Jesus, by the way, is the good shepherd. Now, here's the thing. What Jesus is turning us into, what the wind is turning us into, is sheep. Because Jesus is the good shepherd. Jesus says this, he says, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them the eternal and they will never perish. God gives us eternal life. No one can snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my father's hand. See, and this is reference to sheep, but it's also a reference to us. And this is why Paul is saying, don't turn back. God is still not finished with you yet. He's still working in your life. Jesus says something dramatically different in Matthew 7. He says, on that day, many will come to me saying, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many things in your names? And I will declare to them, Jesus says, I never knew you. I never knew you. See, what happens is some people get stuck in the religious. They're just being religious. They're just going to church. They're just trying to be religious rather than truly understanding who Jesus is. And this is why Paul is saying, don't turn back. And the same is true for us. You know, once we've tasted the, the goodness as the Word of God and the powers uh, of, of Christ in this, com- in this age, we, we don't want to turn back. We want to stay on path. Well, <clears throat> this is like the wind. We can see it coming. We can't see it coming, and we can't see it leaving. We can only feel the effect of it. Now, in closing there are reminders of why we don't turn back. And I'm just going to quote some scriptures for you. You probably know some of these as well. The scriptures tell us that we are a a new creation. Don't turn back. Bible says we've all been forgiven of our sins. Don't turn back. The Bible says that we are more than conquerors in Jesus Christ. Well, don't turn back. The Bible says that we are the bride of Christ. You know that? We are the bride of Christ. Don't turn back. Bible says that Jesus is coming for us in the clouds. Don't turn back. Bible says that the dead, I love this, the dead will rise first and then we which are alive will be caught up together to be with them in the clouds and we will forever be with the Lord. Don't turn back. Bible says that we will all be present at the marriage supper of the Lamb. Don't turn back. Bible says that in eternity... In eternity, he will wipe away every tear from her eyes and there'll be no more death, nor mourning, nor crying, nor pain, for the former things will all pass away. Don't turn back. Amen? Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we want to thank you, Lord. You've been listening to Faith Dialogue with Pastor Ken Baer, recorded live at Celebrate Seniors, a ministry of faith dialogue. You can listen to or watch all of the recordings at Faith Dialogue by going to www.faithdialogue.org.